Welcome to Dr. Jeffrey Ross, Looking Good and Feeling Great podcast, live from Las Vegas, with his co-host, Daryl Craig Harris. Well, here we go, another episode. Absolutely right. And we're uh, coming at you live from the office. So if you're seeing video of this, uh, I have Hathead uh, from... <laughs> you had surgery the, this the morning. The Buffont cap, yes. So uh, yeah, they have... Uh, they have the Buffon caps, uh, caps uh, which I kind of like. They're a little more airy. And then they have like the hardcore surgeon uh, caps, which I think you probably look a little cooler in. But still, yeah, I can kind of go with the Buffon myself. So, <laughs> And then the, the, the nurses, I, I don't know how they do it. They, the nurses in Philly, because they had like, you know, the kind of big hair. Right. It was a big hair city. So like, I think South Jersey, Philly, Dallas, Las Vegas, I think created the ozone with AquaNet. <laughs> Oh, back, yes, the old, back, the old back in the eighties, and and I, I think yeah, absolutely cop to that. And so, so they those gals, I don't know how they do, it, but they have like two or three nets to kind of capture all the other other hair and stuff like that. So, and they they also have the uh, unique ability, and again, I don't know how they do this, but the the South Jersey girls and Philly girls to blow a bubble and then blow a bubble within a bubble. <laughs> Never, it's a special talent. <laughs> it's, you know, you got to give credit where credit is due. Maybe there might be a college thing with that. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. A couple things, a couple takeaways from my seven years in Philly. <laughs> there you so, go. Yeah, there you go. Uh, um, Could be worse. So, today, what we talked about um, covering is actually scarring. So, obviously, post surgical scarring. Sure. Which is a big concern for most people, I would imagine. Sure. So, yeah, no, we get that all the time is, is uh, well, I'm coming to a plastic surgeon because I don't want to scar. Well, uh, plastic surgeons, we still do make scars. I just blew everybody's fantasy. Uh, but uh, we try our best to go ahead and minimize them uh, or hide them in creases and lines that, uh, that you have. And we like to think that we handle tissue really well. Uh, so do general surgeons, so do cardiothoracic surgeons, so do orthopedic surgeons, so do GYN surgeons. Uh, now, there is a much more of a consciousness of scarring throughout the surgical specialties as there ever uh, has been. So, um, so yeah, one is to handle the tissue well uh, and close things on uh, the least amount of tension. There's an old surgical adage, you want to cut on tension. So if you ever see a surgeon working and he's going to make an incision, you'll notice that he goes ahead and puts tension across where he's cutting or she's cutting. Uh, and then you want to sew on no tension, right? Cut on tension, sew on no tension, right? So when you're sewing, you want to go ahead and take as much tension off of the wound as you can. And so oftentimes we will go ahead and close incisions and in layers so as to get a really good construct. And then uh, there's very little tension on the outermost portion of the wound, the epithelium. And so if you really have no tension on the wound, then yes, you can either uh, use suture, you can use uh, uh, non-absorbable suture stitches that have to take get taken out in a few days versus absorbable suture, which will go ahead and fall out on their own. And more and more folks are going to absorbable sutures. Uh, for example, and I, I kind of learned this in my hand rotation, it tried to get sutures out of a web space and a web space is that area between the two fingers uh, on a three-year-old. Yeah, good luck. So, because uh, the kid's screaming and mom's screaming and you're yeah, screaming, everybody's screaming, it's not fun. So, so we really started using a lot of uh, absorbables there and we've decided in other places that you're able to go ahead and do that as well. So, so that's worked out pretty well. Again, depends on how much tension there is across the wound. And especially, as you know, I take care of a lot of boxers and the boxers uh, like to think that the surgeons that take care of these things, especially plastic surgeons, we close it 
uh, so that they are less likely to uh, open up at a, a later time. And they like that because especially in the boxing world, you're going to get hit again. And um, scarred tissue is about 75, depending on who you read, 75 to 80 percent as sturdy as non-scar tissue, right? So even when we go ahead and do our incisions and fix earlobes, and we've been doing a lot of that lately, we tell folks, uh, hey, um, no re-piercing uh, for three months. And two, if you're going to re-pierce it, do it three millimeters away from where the scar is, where the incision line is, uh, because that tissue is going to be more sturdy than the the tissue that we just put uh, put together. Right. Uh, so again, so you were, we're trying to trying to figure out ways to hide scars. We're trying to figure out ways to camouflage scars uh, and and still be able to do things. And in the reconstructive world, you may have. A, a for a cancer that you're taking out or some lesion that you're taking out, uh, you may go ahead and make yourself a incision, make yourself a hole, and then you're like, okay, well, how am I going to go ahead and close this? And that's where it's really you get creative with the little VY flaps or the little rotational flaps or the other little flaps to move tissue around and really rob Peter to pay Paul, but at the same time say, okay, well, mm, I'm going to go ahead and rob Peter to pay Hey, Paul, I'm going to take some tissue from one area and put in the other area, but what kind of a line am I creating? What kind of a scar line am I creating? And if I put it next to the nasolabial fold, okay, people won't see it as opposed to straight across your cheek where you can see it from right. a block away. Yeah. So we, we plaque surgeons, are, are uh, really always striving to kind of hide the scars that we have, even if they're normal scars. And, and the other thing with scars is typically it's a matter of collagen laying itself uh, down and becoming a scar. Typically, I tell folks uh, scars, whenever we you know, do a scar, make an incision and sew it up, uh, we're into a year program. And what I mean by that is, is even if somebody came in and again, trauma, whatever, from a knife fight and says, uh, hey, doc, uh, you know, can you revise the scar? The board answer, typically the pan answer is, is okay, but we're going to wait a year, right? Mm -hmm. Because the scars typically look their most red and most kind of goofy looking at about four months months and better again about 10 months right months and so again folks are, are like well, wait a minute you're a plastic surgeon i'm going to get this sewn up on friday i'm going to go yeah, uh, back to work monday it's be instant. and you're like well no i'd be great so right. and, and, and again getting back to the no tension thing that's where also you can use tissue glues and some folks like to use the tissue glue but that it does the, the tissue glue won't work on a high tension area or, or wound because it'll just pull apart. What you have to have is is really zero or very little tension across that wound, and then you can put the tissue glue on top of it. Uh, and some guys like sutures, some guys like tissue glue. It just kind of depends on where you're training, what your experience is. But the common denominator on that is, okay, I'm going to go ahead and put this epithelium together, very top layer together. I want to put on the least amount of tension uh, I can. And then people ask, well, what can I do uh, to modulate the scars, right? So uh, a couple general things is, is one is keep them out of the sun. UV light is bad for uh, incisions and wounds. Uh, and also it makes them darker. And mm -hmm. the reason why is because the, those the cells by the incision line are all kind of keyed up and you hit them with some more UV light and then they're more and more keyed up and oftentimes they'll go ahead and give out melanocytes, which is again a protective measure from the sun, UV light. But 
yeah, you, you basically want to keep them uh, out of the sun and, and usually for a year. I mean, some uh, gals will go ahead on their uh, breast incision stuff. They'll actually wear uh, Band-Aids, uh, especially in the summer months if they want to go out, et cetera, oh, et cetera. Right. And again, UV light, what do you use? You have physical layer, meaning you can't run around you know, naked uh, in three weeks after surgery and it's Las Vegas. So I have to say that to people sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, like you said, too, they kind of have that, have that in their mind that, oh, I went to a plastic surgeon. I'm not going to have to worry about this. Right. It's like, well, you want the best outcome for the patient. Exactly. <laughs> so, you want you want to put your ducks in a row. Right. So yeah, so basically, so whether it's a physical bear like a, a swimsuit or a shirt, a physical bear like a uh, Band-Aid, uh, and then of course, a physical bear, if you want to call it that, it's like a... Um, uh, UV protection, sunblock, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Shameless plug. We have great sunblock. Just gonna miss uh, that. <laughs> so shameless plug. And um, but uh, but but that's all that's all important. And then the next thing is is okay. What else can you? What else can I do, Doc? I like massage. I think massage is helpful. I think it realigns a lot of the collagen and kind of makes you nice scars and kind of keeps things soft. Uh, I also like the stuff that we have, which is a product called Biocornium. But many products are good, and basically it's a silicone base. And we plastic surgeons always like silicone next to wounds, and we've used that in the burn units for forever. Hmm. Um, and some little with the compression garments that we have along with silicone, you know, sheeting impregnated. Right. So some guys and gals like the silicone sheets, which are great, except you don't want it to bunch up, uh, whether it's a, whether it's a Moderma, whether it's a Biocornium, which is a liquid silicone, which then goes ahead and gets kind of tacky. And then you can kind of put clothes over it because I like that because it sort of gets into all the interstices. The Biocornium has also some additional medicine, et cetera, et cetera. But, but those things are key. The, the main key actually is really nutrition, Stay out of the sun and don't smoke. Yeah, Those I was going to say smoke because we talk about actually the smoking element we talked about before, and that's yeah. a big, a big thing about it's, recovery, right? It's a huge, it's a huge thing. Uh, there are many where, where I train, uh, and basically most. I'm just trying to think in broad statements, but I'll say the vast, vast majority of folks that uh, I know won't do facelifts on smokers. Uh, some of them go. Uh, so far as to a drug test in the morning of uh, surgery. And what I mean by that is they have them pee in a cup and then they dip the stick. And if you're positive, uh, yeah, your case is canceled. And mm. and they're smart. Uh, yeah, because that actually, I mean, it protects the patient, but it also protects the doctor. Well, yeah, right? to do that. And and I've had, <laughs> and again, why, why smoking evil and that? Why is nicotine evil? Because of vasoconstrictor, right? So it basically constricts the blood vessels. You don't get the... Uh, oxygen where it needs to go and things tend to fall apart, especially those um, operations that are on tension, right? Facelifts, breast lifts, tummy tucks are all on tension by definition. And what did we say? We want to cut on tension, but so on no tension. So tension is the enemy of good wound healing. So you want to put everything you can in place so that things don't fall apart, et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, yeah, so the the main thing is, is that's why we don't like the nicotine. And even and vaping counts and uh, chew counts and nicotine patches count. So the, not, you know, and again, I really hate smoking. So that's really super evil because you have a little more, more tar yeah, and, and all that kind of stuff. And at this point, we, I think we all know that that's just not a good thing. It's not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, if used correctly, it kills you. Okay, where do I sign up? Exactly. So, but. Uh, you know, but it's ingrained in a lot of cultures. But having it's there, yeah. But having said that, is is yeah. So that's for me. That's that's important, and, and that will 
hopefully get us to good wound healing and things not falling apart and things with you know nice little white incisions that you have to go look for and that that's that's always that's always a good thing what, what's um kind of going along the same lines what are some of the main questions that patients ask you about getting surgery what are the what are, are the biggest concerns you always come across well sure so we we always hear concerns about you know how dangerous is it this and that and they, they always have a, a war story for you one of the other things that we talk about all the time and a lot of concerns for a lot of folks is again getting back to scarring especially with big incisions like tummy tucks or uh, scars on the breast or even faces etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, and again especially in my population and I love everybody I take care of everybody um, but especially uh, my patients of color uh, my black folks my Hispanic folks my Asian folks and I took care of a lot of Asian or still a lot of Asian folks especially with uh, Pacquiao and 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 all that. Um, so they, they come in. And so for those folks, you have to really be a bit more cautious. Um, you have to really handle the tissue well. We tend to keep this, the stereo strips on them longer to take tissue off. Uh, and because those folks tend to uh, hypertrophic scar a little bit or keloid scar a little bit. So, and sometimes gals will come in and, and you'll find the difference. Yeah, between. Sure. And then they'll say, oh, hey, doc, you know, when I put my earrings in and all of a sudden I got this big growth. So, all right. So what's a hypertrophic scar versus a keloid scar, right? Okay. So you make it incision in the in the uh, in, uh, skin and the body will go through this process of inflammation and the maturation and all that good stuff okay so sometimes it's a little bit too robust and what you do is is you lay down all this collagen lay down all this collagen and there's supposed to be at some point where uh, the skin says, okay, you know, contact inhibition. Okay, I'm now contacting the cell with this contact right. with this cell. We're going to bond. And now, okay, and so now, oh, that's all I have to do. I'm done, right? And so then the sh cells shut themselves down. Sometimes that message doesn't get, for whatever reason, put across. And so you'll get what's called a hypertrophic scar. And this is usually in Caucasian folks. What it is, is, is it's Define. You make your incision, and it's a bit of a speed bump, and probably a little bit of redness, redness, in that area where you made your incision. Okay, keloid type scars are those that go beyond the incision that you made, right? And so, basically, again, some gals, we saw this in Philly a lot is they would go ahead in earrings and then sometimes, boom, they would have this big, you know, thing as big as a mushroom. Uh, growing off of their mm. earlobe. And just so from the trauma? Of just from, yeah, just, uh, just from that. We had right. a, a, a few guys that um, were shaving and basically uh, kind of cut themselves shaving. And usually, I mean, fellas, we cut themselves shaving all the time. But these guys, yeah, wound up uh, wound up with keloids on the face and mm. we had to go ahead and resect them, move tissue around, et yeah, cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it just kind of creates a mess, right? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so basically, okay, so how do you, you know, first, of course, prevention always, uh, new one is, to handle tissue well, to keep them out of the sun, to do, but sometimes you're just genetically predisposed for these sorts of things. Uh, and so, okay, well, if you start to see a keloid, now what do you do? Is, is again, you have the lotions and potions, you have the, the compression garments. Uh, that can be helpful. Sometimes you re excise it and put compression garments on it in silicone. Sometimes, in really, really tough cases, cases that are impeding airways, cases that are impeding. Um, 
range of motion across joints. Sometimes you have to do skin grafting. Sometimes you have to do radiation. So, you know, it's, oh, it's just a scar, but sometimes they can get really unwieldy and sometimes can get a bit out of control. So again, you try to prevent like anything else in medicine, you try to recognize and prevent it before it happens. If it does happen, you try to intervene uh, and get the best result for your patient. Yeah, and medicine, I mean, the thing is, it's they, they call it a practice for a reason and you don't always have control obviously of outcomes and so i mean your as your goal as a doctor is basically to create the best possible success route. Sure. Right. Sure. So yeah, i mean you know you're in there with a the patient and it keeps you up night again. I always read my uh, about you know, patients all the time. I read my charts right before, uh, the night before I go to surgery and in my head, uh, again, I visualize, okay, so what are we doing tomorrow? I'm going to do this move and this move and this move and this move. Uh, and um, so, yeah, you think about that kind of stuff. And then, mm. yeah, and then you get taught lessons. And a lesson is repeated until it is learned. Right. And, and every, every patient's unique. Every patient's unique. Right? Yeah, you can have, you know, a hundred great cases and then one makes a left turn and you're, you're kicking yourself about it. Mm. And, and it keeps you up at night and uh, yeah and, and so you learn uh, you know, how to process that and then you learn where to ask questions and I have zero ego as far as that goes I'm happy to call uh, or uh, email guys and gals who uh, have a particular um, expertise and just go okay you know I'm thinking X Y and Z am I thinking this right and mm -hmm. they may say oh yeah no that's right or they may say yeah I used to do that but mm, I've tried five this way hey try this way oh okay and that's why we used to have meetings finally as we're coming out of COVID we're starting to have in-person meetings again and uh, and that's that's really for me where the fun part is is to is to talk to other guys and gals uh, at the meeting and kind of see what they're doing in their practices mm -hmm. and there's always the folks that are up on the lectern and they're giving great presentations and that's terrific but it's also good to yeah, kind of give and take is talk to those term. guys yeah. yeah and and the other thing which is interesting and they used to have this thing at um, one of our national meetings and they used to call it complications and cocktails <laughs> and what it was <laughs> it's I a great it was great because what they did was they put a whole bunch of, of high top round Round boys, I'm, you know, somebody, yeah. somebody's yeah. going to tell me that Tables. What, what those, <laughs> that that's wrong. But that's okay. And uh, all, all my F and B people, are like, oh my god. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so they and they would put a laptop on top of that, and they would have these guys, you know, the guys that are writing papers and chairman, all that stuff, stationed next to a laptop. And you would bring your back then it was a floppy disk, but uh, but then they went to the USBs, and you would go ahead and bring your photos, and you would present their case. And they'd be like you and a couple three other guys, and you know the professor there, and they'd say, okay, this happened to me, and this is why, and blah blah blah, and this is what I did, because in residency training we would do what was called more morbidity and mortality conference, which is anytime that you would have something gone wrong or a, uh, or a, a death, and sometimes that happens, especially on the trauma or general surgery services and, sure. and such, uh, you would present it in front of all the other residents and all of the other professors, and then they would kind of go through, okay, what happened with this case, et cetera, et cetera. And then you, of course, read about it because you know you're getting grilled. And so they would grill you on this, and sometimes mm -hmm. it you know, was punitive, and sometimes it was really educational, and sometimes it was, most times it was both. Right. And... Um, but you really did learn. You learn with the foot in the mouth and you're like, or even if you're not the guy presenting, you're in the back going, oh my God, that's never going to happen. I'm, I'm really going to be on the watch for this. That's not going to happen, uh, I hope, to, to me. So so with that is, is yeah, you always want to learn and surgery will keep you humble. And I, I've learned that a, a long time ago that the moment I get just a little arrogant, it bites me on the butt. 
every single time. So. Speaking about that, ego, doctors, not only doctors, but ego, that definitely gets in the way, I would say, and it seems in my layman opinion. What's your thoughts on that, containing your ego, controlling that? Sure. So, yeah, I, the thing is, is, is you have to, and in my opinion, this is me, you know, looking back, uh, is, is I was never one of those kind of egotistical doc guys, uh, which is good. I didn't, you know, I had a real nice uh, upbringing. And my, my, my mom was a nurse. My dad was a salesman, you know, so I, you know, and I had, you know, jobs, uh, you know, working through, you know, high school and college yeah. and all that kind real, of stuff. Real world. And, yeah, yeah, real world stuff. You know, I'm the guy that, you know, that was pushing the mop around the ER, you know, and so, okay. So for me, uh, um, for me is I was really grateful and I, I am grateful. I was blessed with the education and the opportunities I got. And so I just try to emulate the guys and gals that taught me. So, so that's that part. And part of that is, is not only can you cut and sew and can you diagnose and, and all that stuff, but also how some of them interacted with people. And some guys were just four plus jerks. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be that guy. You know right. what I mean? And I learned over the years that you kind of don't have to uh, be that guy. Now, some places, yes, there's some county hospitals that, um, that basically, and I worked with, you know, some of the professors that were there. Because you, you worked emergency in, is it Philly, right? Well, yeah. So, so we, we did, you've been in the thick of it. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a little, <laughs> yeah. it was, you know, the Knife and Gun Club in Philly in the uh, 90s was uh, busy, but really good training. Uh, right. And so, uh, yeah. And so, you know, people would come and, well, I can't believe you work with him. He yells and screams all the time. I'm like, well, actually, if you listen to the guy, he's right. You know, the, mm. the point he makes is correct. And then the rest of it is just volume. And so now right. you turn out the volume, you know, if, if you're his fellow or chief resident or whatever. And the problem is, is he has to use volume because in those particular hospitals, crazy, right? uh, nobody moves right. unless you yell and scream and carry on and, and stuff. And so I'm like, all right, well, thankfully, I'm at a place in my career and where I go that you don't have to yell and scream. You just you, you ask and st stuff happens most of the time. Uh, and, and I've always found that if somebody's out to hurt your patient or, or do something deleterious, yeah, then it's okay to to get fired up and say, "Hey, this is not going to happen. This is going to do." This, blah, blah, blah. And it's, if, sometimes it's life and death. And sometimes, so. yeah, sometimes you can't mess around, right? So yeah, so sometimes you're like, "No, I need this now." You know, I mean, I've screamed at the blood service countless times. I've you know gone mm -hmm. down there and got the blood and ran it physically back myself. I've done, yeah, all of it, all of it, and and. And the blood services were, again, where I was, they were great, except they were short-staffed, okay? So, it, and it was a big trauma night. Stuff happens. They don't have anybody to run it to you, you know, and your residents, stuff like that, are in three different rooms. Like, screw it. I'm going to go ahead and get it myself. And mm. Okay. that And that is completely acceptable. And that... That's fine. Uh, if somebody, you know, hey, we're ordering lunch, for, you know, for the docs, and somebody gives you like the wrong sandwich, and people go bananas, I think that's then you're being a jerk. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. so professionally, yeah, you can go ahead and be a bit demanding if it's for your patient, but something you know personal, then yeah, no, then you're just being then you're just being a jerk. Right, and a lot of it too comes down to building a great team around you, where you don't even have to necessarily always be in that situation. Right, and, and you, ha you do have a great team that's taken years to put together. Yeah. Yes, it's been a while. So <laughs> yeah, uh, we've we've had some humdingers. Yeah. No, actually, uh, we're, we're very fortunate. Uh, both in the operating room and out of the operating room, I'm surrounded by some really good folks, and, and we've learned, uh, as you know, you've been with around me long enough. Is um, you I've learned that you really 
and try to surround yourself with good people, not people that are just technicians, but good people that have the same mission and are are rowing the boat in the same direction as you and want to do because it's all about the patient. And I tell the young guys and gals, I said, you know, if you poised with a decision and just the you know between a and b what's going to what's going to be best for the patient is usually the way it's it'll work out best and right. so so yeah so and we've also learned a long time ago uh to hire slow and fire fast and i used yeah. to be completely the opposite and so i've learned over the time that uh yeah make sure the pieces together on the puzzle not only work and work well but also work well together yeah and that's something like you said that i mean i've learned that too myself like it's not always necessarily the most qualified it's going to be the best fit. Hiring and all that stuff, all that fun office stuff too, which is something you've had to deal with, I know. Well, yeah, sure. Especially, again, and I am a, a private practice guy now. And of course, we're just not trained uh, for uh, for the, those sorts of things. So, you know, when I very first came out, uh, again, we could, you know, crack chests open and we can, you know, do burr holes in the head and we can do all these things. And then somebody hands you a profit and loss the first time. You're like, what's this? I'm like, really, Don? <laughs> yeah. So. That's actually, well, you know, I mean, we've, we touched on that bef- um, before, but actually it's something we should do an episode on about the business of medicine yeah. in terms of running the office and and your CEO of a small company. Of a, yeah, of a small business. So, so yeah. yeah. Um, can you tell people how to how to find you or find us, I should say? Sure. So uh, we're all over the place. Our uh, cornerstone is, of course, the website, which can be found at uh, www. J-J-R-O-T-H-M-D, J-J-R-O-T-H-M-D.com. We also have a growing social media presence uh, (laughs) with uh, from uh, Facebook uh, to uh, Twitter to Instagram, of course, uh, LinkedIn, TikTok, I think MySpace. I know, there's so many MySpace. (laughs) Um, And then- uh, no more MySpace. But uh, not Friendster. <laughs> but yeah, old school. But yeah, no. So this is yours. We're all, we're all over uh, all of that, and then of course the podcast, which you obviously found and are listening to uh, now. And it's uh, it's this has been a lot of fun, and we've been getting more and more feedback. And so again, if you have anything that you want to hear, uh, please go ahead, and uh, we actually do check uh, stuff like the emails and the comments and such, or contact us at the office, uh, and uh, we'll get that on for you because we love questions and we love talking about this stuff. Yeah, that's where we actually get most of our topics is from uh, from people that are listening and sending in messages and uh yeah awesome so thanks uh, our, our new from the office uh, episodes we just started um because we all have busy busy schedules <laughs> and we love our studio at the space but sometimes it's a challenge to get over there well they're they're, re- they're uh, renovating it right now so Which we is hope, true so we hope to go ahead and be back uh in there soon as soon as they get done uh, as soon as the sawdust uh, settles yes <laughs> awesome have everybody everybody have an awesome day and uh please check out and subscribe and uh, like our episode Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. For further information, please visit the podcast website link for Dr. Jeffrey Roth. See you next time.